Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime, on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 Thank you so much for joining us as we begin at seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on this tuesday the 15th morning of the first month of the year of our lord 2019 you know what tuesday means it's a great day because it is Kersenow day peter Kersenow, the cleveland attorney and member of the united states commission on civil rights will be joining me one hour from now to talk about a whole host of issues, including the ongoing day number 24 of the government shutdown or the partial government shutdown, the uh, disingenuous efforts by the Democrats to claim they're negotiating, trying to find an end to the shutdown when they refuse to give up dollar one for border security. Uh, we'll talk to Peter about that. A new caravan has left Honduras. How about that? The last one worked so well, they figured, why not? Let's go Let's go after it again. About 600 migrants are headed from Honduras to the U.S., taking the same route as the caravans that came to the border last year. They gathered at a bus station in San Pedro Sula, where about half of them, mainly women and children, boarded. The other half started out on foot in the rain. This Honduran migrant says he's not a criminal. He just wants a chance. In the United States, I came to work in garden, in a restaurant. I need one opportunity. It's not clear if their destination is Tijuana, where thousands of migrants remain, hoping to get into the U.S. Yeah, and of course, these same migrants are going to be traveling through a nation that has already offered them amnesty, asylum, or whatever it is that you're look- they're looking for, an opportunity to live and work there. But nope, they've got to go to the United States. They've got to go to the gold standard. Why? Because of the nonstop carrots that we keep throwing out there for them to chase. Jobs, health care, education, all paid for by taxpayers, all of these uh, subsidized housing and everything else. That's why they continue to do this. Samuel informs me it's day 25 of the shutdown. Thank you, Samuel. So we are clearly into the fourth week of the uh, partial government shutdown. So that's one of the big stories of the day. The new caravan is making its way northward. They have just departed yesterday. And we'll talk to Kersenow about that. We're also going to talk to him about Steve King. Iowa Congressman Steve King, who has had a little bit of a history of making statements or doing things that called into question his belief in the equality of all races. I don't know if anybody has outright called him a racist, but he has been uh, tripping over himself in a few different ways. The most recent in a New York Times editorial, or not editorial, rather a New York Times article in which he allegedly used language that uh, made it seem that white supremacy is, is A-OK. Uh, well, yesterday, Republican leadership responded. Steve King, he met with uh, House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy. Here's part of his statement after that session. He said, McCarthy's decision to remove me from committees is a political decision that ignores the truth. I told him, you do what you have to do, and I will do what I have to do. There are three official modes of sanction in the House of Representatives. There's reprimand, there's censure, and there's expulsion. Now, Jim Clyburn, the Democratic whip, he is introducing a resolution of disapproval. Bobby Rush is a Democratic congressman from Illinois. He doesn't think that this goes far enough. He has introduced a censure resolution that would take a full House vote, but we're expecting, at a minimum, this resolution of disapproval on the House floor. That takes a two-thirds vote. 
And most importantly, again, he has been stripped of all committee assignments by the minority leader, Kevin McCarthy, who explained his decision this way. I don't know of Republicans that any Republicans stand with the language that uh, Steve King used. I, I hope this is an example of what this party has stood for, and I hope on the other side of the aisle that they will do the same when I watch their members say items as well that just does not stand as an American view. That doesn't happen, by the way, of course. The Democrats never rebuke their own. They never condemn their own for foul language, vile language, uh, dishonest language, uh, 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 you know, any, any sort of language that is just completely untoward uh, and unbecoming. Steve King, by the way, for his own sake, uh, we should point this out. Steve King issued a statement, and he also spoke on the floor right after we got off the air yesterday, in fact. Steve King um, issued a statement that essentially said, um, I was totally misquoted by the New York Times. He said, as a, and he made this remark again on the uh, on the floor of the uh, uh, of the House yesterday. He said, uh, "I made a freshman mistake, and I agreed to a phone interview with the New York reporter who uh, was not recording." Now, this is what Steve King said. I'm not justifying or saying he's right or not, uh, but this is what he said yesterday. And he said, what I said about white supremacy uh, not being offensive, that is not what I said at all. He is claiming that he was asking, why did it become okay and acceptable language to talk about white supremacy? He claims the entire thing was distorted and misreported by the New York Times uh, author or writer. And that's, let's be honest. That's possible. It is the New York Times. And if they can make Demo- or Republicans rather look bad, they will do that. But this is a little report on Steve King's statement yesterday. The Iowa Republican blasted House leadership for removing him from committee assignments. In a statement, Congressman King said House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy made a political decision that ignores the truth. McCarthy has defended the decision. I don't know of Republicans that any Republicans stand with the language that uh, Steve King used. Congressman King says the New York Times miscarried characterized his comments. In the interview, King questioned how the terms white nationalism and white supremacy became offensive. So again, his uh, his state, he issued, he issued a written statement into the record, and then he also again made a public statement, a spoken statement. Uh, not too many people were listening, quite frankly, because people have pretty much had enough of Steve King uh, and racially insensitive remarks, if not flat-out racist remarks. I don't know that anybody has called him a racist, but they have essentially said he cannot represent us. He shouldn't be representing the people of Iowa in such manners, and that's why he is not going to be on any committee assignments. He's going to be persona non grata apparently for Republicans on Capitol Hill. So that's how that story wraps up for now, and we will see where it goes from there. To the biggest story, of course, of the day, it is continuing to be the shutdown, not just the ongoing, uh, or excuse me, not just the new Honduran migrant uh, caravan, which is on its way northward. By the way, it doubled inside of uh, uh, an evening. The the caravan, uh, I was watching uh, reports from uh, uh, Griff Jenkins, who is embedded with this new caravan. He said it was 500 strong when it departed the uh, small Honduran town uh, where it began. And literally within, uh, I don't know, he said a couple of hours of walking, they picked up another 500 people. So that, so it's 1,000 strong. So this, you know, the idea that this is going to stay there is obviously pretty much, um, uh, you know, uh, a non-starter. It's going to be end up being five, six, seven thousand like the last one was. And once again, the president of the United States is going to be uh, tasked with trying to deal with this. What happens when they start flooding our border that is not protected by a barrier and they start crossing 
and then asking to be arrested so that they can then be released until their hearings uh, are scheduled, which could be weeks, months, or years down the road. This is exactly why we have to have a border wall. Even Mitt Romney, even Mitt Romney, who, of course, walked into the Senate and on day one uh, issued a scathing rebuke of President Trump, even after Trump gave him his endorsement in that Senate race in Utah. But Romney, at least when it comes to the wall and the need for not only building the wall to stop future uh, illegal immigrants coming into this country, but also to deal with the illegal aliens already inside our borders, Romney said this has to happen. I think most of us are for almost any approach that lives with building a wall and enforcement of our immigration system once people are into our country, uh, and we'll work with the Democrats on issues that they care about. But there has to be a win-win here. This has become an issue now of people painting themselves into corners and unable to move, and that doesn't work here, doesn't work anywhere else in the country. The problem is, of course, that the Democrats don't want their half of the win. They only want the full win. They want no border wall and the uh, uh, legalization of DACA recipients. They want no war- no border wall and uh, uh, a path to citizenship for illegals in this country. They want nothing to do with the border wall. That's the problem here. And as Lindsey Graham and several others, including some on the Democrat side, have suggested to the president, let's just open the government up for three weeks. Let's just open it up, get these people back on paying status again, and then we can continue the, continue the negotiations. They're ignoring the fact that there are no negotiations. The only compromising that has been done thus far has been done by President Trump. He has compromised on the amount. He has compromised on the construction of either a cement or concrete wall as opposed to steel walls and barriers. He has stopped using the language they want to use, which is they don't like, which is wall, and talked about barriers. He has compromised six different ways from Sunday. And the Democrats still say, nope, no money for a wall. He has said, let's talk about the dreamers. You want that. That's what Romney just said. You want something. Uh, we'll talk about the dreamers. Uh, they said, nope, no wall. Nothing is getting them off of their position on this, which is why it absolutely is being mischaracterized as a Trump shutdown. It is the Democrats that refuse to open the government because they will not even negotiate in good faith. Kevin McCarthy again, saying the president has indeed compromised. This president is focused on giving this government open. That's why the president is here. That's why I'm here in Washington. The challenge has been from the very beginning, the president has made numerous offers about this shutdown, reasonable too, moving further to the Democratic side. And there has not been one offer coming back from the Democrats. It is unacceptable that 800,000 U.S. employees are not being paid. Not one offer coming back from the Democrats. See, that's not negotiation. That's why Lindsey Graham was wrong and why the president was right to reject that offer and that advice. The president yesterday essentially said, thanks for the advice, uh, Lindsey, but no, I reject it. Because they're not negotiating. And if you open the government up again, all it will do is steal their resolve rather than put any pressure on them to come to the table and negotiate. This is the way that it has to go. Not because of the president who has negotiated in good faith, who has compromised, who has offered to give in on some of his core principles here. The Democrats will not give an inch. They are the ones who don't want to get this solved. That's it. President said correctly yesterday, we have drugs, we have criminals, we have gangs coming across that border, and suddenly 
it's immoral to try to stop them? And the reason why is because they know it's all about 2020. How bad is it on the border? Let's go to somebody whose who's state is, is a, the biggest part of this. There's, what, 2,000 uh, border uh, miles of border between the United States and Mexico? About 1,200 of them belong to Texas. Here's Texas Attorney General Ken Pax. What I do know is that we do have crime on the border. I know that drugs are coming across the border. I know that there's human trafficking. I know that there's all kinds of crime, including we have murders, hundreds of murders. We have murderers, human traffickers. We got drugs. We got cartels. We got gang members. We got all of these things coming across the border, and it's immoral to put up a barrier to make it harder for them to come in. They, by the by, as long as you're, you know, we're talking about this, they are laughing at us. They're laughing at us. MS-13. Drug cartel members, they're laughing at how easy it is to get across the border. Barack Obama's former Border Patrol chief, Mark Morgan, talked about this last night on Tucker, how they literally are laughing about how easy it is to get into the United States because of no obstruction getting in their way. I'm going to share that audio with you as we when we come right back. Just... All right, 925 now. The Bob France Authority continues on AM 1420. The answer, Kirsten, now coming up at the top of the hour. Open lines between now and 10 o'clock. So dial now, 216-901-0945. I mentioned this because of all of the voices that I played for you so far uh, about the government shutdown and the fight over the border wall, most of them are Republican voices. I mean, I've played Chuck and Nancy to death, so don't get me wrong. It's not like I'm, I don't want to hear from them. I do. I just like to hear something of substance from them, and that's something we cannot get. But today, you know, we're hearing from Kevin McCarthy, and we're hearing from Ken Paxton, the Attorney General of the state of Texas, and all of these these other things. Uh, we're hearing, excuse me, reports from uh, uh, down in Honduras with the new caravan leaving. But I want to play this voice because it matters more. This is the voice of Mark Morgan, as I've mentioned before. I've played him before. He was on uh, uh, Tucker Carlson last night. Uh, talking about, once again, the incredible danger of this border not being secured with barriers. He is not a Republican. In fact, I don't know if he's a Democrat, but I do know that he worked as the Border Patrol chief for President Barack Obama. And when he was, uh, when uh, Obama was succeeded by Trump, President Trump fired this guy. So he has no loyalty to Trump. He has no reason to back Donald Trump at all. In fact, if he wanted to, just out of you know anger and um, uh, you know retribution, if he wanted to, he could pretty much just say, you know what, uh, Trump is wrong. We don't need a border wall. I'm an, I'm an expert. I was the border border patrol chief, and we don't need one. He's crazy. He's manufacturing this. He could do that if he wanted to, but rather than say that. He's an honest, patriotic American, and this is what Mark Morgan, the former Obama Border Patrol chief, told Tucker last night. Is it too much to say that this is a real-world example of what can happen if you have a dysfunctional immigration policy? That's absolutely right, Tucker. And I think you said it right, is that it's about that the immigration process in this country across the board is broke. This is a great example. American, you know, if they could look this up, the Flores decision. The Flores decision is what mandates the United States Border Patrol to release minor children. They only have a few amount of days, and once they hit that, they've got to release them, regardless if they've been properly vetted, regardless if they have a, a parent in the United States, they have to be released into the United States. And so that's a judicial ruling. A court came up with that decision. 
could has Congress ever acted on it? I mean, since clearly that's crazy, why doesn't the United States Congress fix it? That's a great question, Tucker. Another reason why I'm breaking my silence, because Congress could fix this in five minutes if they wanted to. Before I was a chief of Border Patrol, I was with, with, with the FBI, and I actually yeah. supervised an MS-13 gang force in Southern California. We used to catch them on surveillance wires, and they would laugh. MS-13 gang members would laugh how easy it was to go back and forth between the, the Mexico and U.S. border. Did I say that last segment? They're laughing at us. They're laughing at us. Because they have complete unfettered access to the United States because we do not have the border wall, the barriers that would be a severe impediment to them getting here. And that's something that even Chuck Schumer admitted. But once again, here's more from Mark Morgan. So we've had a number of debates on this show with Democrats who say there's something bigoted about criticizing MS-13. As someone who's actually worked to apprehend MS-13, how would you respond to that? That's ridiculous. MS-13, and, and I know this may be controversial, but when the, when the president referred to them as animals, I, I absolutely said that is correct. Those MS-13 members. And I can tell you, again, because I've worked it and I've been there as a chief, I've been to the detention facilities where I've walked up to these individuals that are so-called minors, 17 or under, and I've looked at them and I've looked at their eyes, Tucker, and I said, that is a soon-to-be MS-13 gang member. It's unequivocal. And they're... Their, their victims are overwhelmingly immigrants themselves, right? Oh, that's, that's another untold story, Tucker, that I'm glad you're talking about tonight. That's absolutely correct. That's another incredulous thing. They absolutely prey on their own. So if you are interested truly in helping immigrants in this country, then perhaps you would join us in helping to stop illegal immigrants because of their violence because of their propensity to be involved with drugs or gangs, especially MS-13, they're going to prey upon other immigrants. All right, really important words there from Mark Morgan. Want to get your thoughts on it as we continue right after the news, which is now on AM 1420, The Answer. Calm. There are two sides to every story. There's the mainstream media side, and then there's the truth. You are experiencing the truth. The Bob France Authority. On AM 1420, The Answer. 9.34, rolling along on AM 1420, The Answer. Peter Kirsten now in about a half an hour. Uh, your phone calls now, 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Don't forget to use social media to find me and our station. Follow me on Twitter at Radio Done Right or France Radio. Just look for both. You'll find me. Follow 1420 The Answer while you're on Twitter. And don't forget, as long as we're promoting all of this digital stuff, uh, make sure that you know that you can listen uh, by way of your Alexa Amazon devices, your Amazon Dot or Amazon Echo. All you got to do is enable the AM 1420 The Answer skill and then say, uh, Alexa, play The Answer Cleveland. I do it every morning. Every single morning as I'm getting ready for the day, I turn it on and I listen to Hugh Hewitt through my Alexa device. It's easier than fumbling with my radio. Uh, so uh, check it out for yourself. Uh, to the phones, David is in LaGrange. Hey, David, you're on AM 1420. The answer, go ahead. Okay, Bob, if you're a state, federal employee, or someone in the military, or a senior citizen, or any place you work, you have to pay into the retirement. Senior yeah. citizen, you reach at age paid in Social Security, you're supposed to receive it. Right. Why are these people coming over the border, not doing a thing, and getting government benefits? 
Well, that's kind of the, the, the core of the issue, or one of the many cores of the issue. There's the violence and the crime and the drugs part of the issue, but the other big part of it is indeed that. They're coming here and they're absorbing American services that they're not paying for. Uh, they're absorbing American, uh, uh, you know, uh, subsidized housing and, and food and, uh, free medical care and free education and all of these kinds of things. You're right that we don't, uh, we don't get for free. We pay taxes for all of the above. And as you say, we pay into our social, social security and retirement systems to take care of us when we're uh, when we're of retirement age and uh, you're right it is completely unfair that's one of the reasons why so many of us are fighting it and if you're a state or government employee you need to look at who your union is telling you to vote for each election time i would just think it as okay i'm paying into it i have to do my time as a state employee a military person you have to see who these politicians are in favor. They'd rather divert the money to illegal aliens than give state, federal, military more benefits. Yeah, uh, and that, that's another. That's a really great point in terms of where should these resources be directed. If we are able, and thanks for the call, David. If we, if we are able to, uh, you know, to stop spending those dollars on, you know, uh, illegal aliens and all of their needs, where can we direct those? And you're right. Uh, there, there are a lot of. Uh, to me, you know, what really bothers me the most, honestly and truly, is I think of homeless veterans. And I'm not trying to just sound like all oh, Mr. Patriot here. I'm just saying legitimately and really, those who fought for this country, many of whom came back with serious issues and problems, whether they be, you know, PTSD-related or maybe they themselves uh, were, were um, you know, became addicted to substances when they were fighting in terrible conditions, and a lot of them, you know, turned to that. Wh- whatever the reasons are, maybe they just don't have a lot of transferable skills to get jobs. But there's too many homeless veterans in this country, and we're worried about, you know, let me play this clip again. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest with you here, okay? I'm not heartless, but I want to play this clip again of the, the caravan uh, departing Honduras now. And I want you to listen. In the middle of it, there is a clip from one of the Honduran uh, migrants who are going to be coming northward through Mexico and uh, trying to come to the United States. And listen to his tale of woe. And, and I'm not heartless. It does sound sad. And I feel for the guy. But listen to him, and then I'll make my larger point About here. 600 migrants are headed from Honduras to the U.S., taking the same route as the caravans that came to the border last year. They gathered at a bus station in San Pedro Sula, where about half of them, mainly women and children, boarded. The other half started out on foot in the rain. This Honduran migrant says he's not a criminal. He just wants a chance. In the United States, I can't work in garden, in a restaurant. I need one opportunity. He needs one opportunity, and I feel bad for the guy. Sure, everybody needs an opportunity, but we have how many homeless veterans who need an opportunity in this country? They need our help. They need our hand up, not our handouts. And and for us to to prioritize, um, you know, the the concerns and the sad tales of woe of illegal aliens coming into this country, or even asylum seekers, which can be legal depending on whether or not they're granted it. Um, it's just insane to me. You take care of your own before you take care of, of people outside. It's just that simple. I mean, let me put it to you another way. We all drive by street corners probably in our little communities every day, and we see somebody who's homeless out there who's got a handout and a little sign. Maybe they're a homeless veteran. Sometimes it'll say veterans, homeless, and so on and so forth. And we think to ourselves, yeah, that's really sad. And some of us will stop off and get them something. Usually, hopefully, you'll give them food. Or you'll give them a food card. My wife told me just the other day she gave a homeless guy who uh, kind of makes his perch uh, near our home, and she gave him a $10 subway card. 
That way you know they're getting sustenance. You know they're getting food. Or, you know they're not going to be feeding their addiction if there's one of those circumstances, right? But we all want to do that. But you know who can't do that? People who can't feed their own kids. People who can't feed their own kids are not going to be feeding strangers. You take care of your own before you take care of somebody else's. Isn't that just basic, normal, common sense? Well, let's apply that on a macro level. We cannot be feeding and housing and clothing and and providing medical care for all of these illegal aliens around the world by letting them come here uh, and prioritizing them over those who are already here. We have to take care of our own first. There are enough homeless people in this country, veterans and otherwise. We don't need to import more homeless people. Got a fresh supply of them. Let's take care of the ones we have first. Let's get them on a working basis. Let's get them working in the gardens and the restaurants that this uh, migrant uh, you just heard from wants to do. Let them do those. Uh, you know, get those opportunities. I want to pivot for a moment. Uh, this Friday, I'm very, very proud to say that my children, my 17-year-old and my 15-year-old, are going to be in Washington, D.C. And they're going to be there with their school. They're going to be there with a real Catholic school that believes in true Catholic principles and Catholic doctrine. They're going to be in Washington, D.C. on Friday participating in the pro-life march, the March for Life. Uh, Their high school, uh, which I'm so proud to have them at, believes in this, is providing the bus transportation for all of the students who can and want to go down and march for life. And I say this in direct... um, um, direct uh, contradiction of the last Catholic high school that my daughter went to, an all-girls high school, that instead of sending uh, girls down to a, the uh, pro-life march, to the March for Life, they will be sending a busload of young girls down on Saturday for the Women's March, which is pro-abortion and many other things. So I'm so happy that both my son and my daughter are going to be in D.C. on Friday marching for life along with many other of their school uh, uh, classmates. So I'm very, very happy and proud about that. And I bring that up to talk about the one that's going to follow it on Saturday, the Women's March. Now, we all know what this Women's March is. We know what it would start. It was started as, and we know what it has become. And it's become an opportunity to bash conservatives, to bash pro-lifers like the ones who will be on that mall the day before on Friday, to bash President Trump, Uh, And little did we know, however, perhaps anyway, little did we know, that it would also become an opportunity to express um, unfiltered anti-Semitism, because that is exactly what it has become, unfiltered anti-Semitism. The founder, or the co-founder, rather, of the Women's March, her name is Tamika Mallory, she was on The View yesterday. The what? Yeah, The View. I don't watch The View either, but boy, oh boy, when some of these things hit the news, you, you've got to pay attention to that, uh, that sewing circle of cackling hens. Uh, it, it's, a, it's, a really, it's a really tough watch. But sometimes you have, to, you have to pay attention to this. And in this case, the founder of the Women's March, whose name is Tamika Mallory, is well known for a number of things, not the least of which is her close friendship and fondness for... Louis Farrakhan and the Nation of Islam. Now, Louis Farrakhan is well known for being an anti-Semite, for hating the Jewish race, wanting them to be exterminated, 
calling them termites so that they can be dehumanized and be spoken of in those terms, by the by. Louis Farrakhan apparently has a very close relationship with the Women's March co-founder, Tamika Mallory. Well, she and some guy dressed as a girl named Bob, uh, who is another one of the co-founders, or at least a spokesperson for this march, this cross-dressing guy, uh, was on. T- they were on The View yesterday and given an opportunity to explain the anti-Semitic nature of the leadership of the Women's March. And I want you to listen first to the original part of the dialogue and her question and answer and the crowd's reaction, and then Megan McCain, one of the token uh, uh, conservative voices that are allowed on The View from time to time, uh, gets in and, uh, and, and, and has her own say in the matter. Please give this a listen. It matters. Well, there, there has been some controversy surrounding the, the, the Women's March organization. And, and Tamika, you came under some fire for your relationship with uh, Louis Farrakhan uh, and the Nation of Islam. Now, he's known for being anti-Semitic for uh, being homophobic, but you do attend his events and you posted, I believe, a, a photo together calling him the GOAT, which means the greatest of all time. And you are running an organization that says it fights bigotry. Do you understand why your association with him is quite problematic? No, I think it's important to put the my attendance, my presence at Savior's Day, which is the highest holy day for the nation of Islam, in proper context. Okay. You know, as a leader, as a black leader in a country that is still dealing with some very serious unresolved issues as it relates to the black experience in this country, um, I go into a lot of difficult spaces. I wrote a piece immediately following uh, the beginning of this controversy uh, talking about Wherever my people are, that's where I must also be. So I also go into prisons where there are people who have been convicted of heinous acts. And I am trying to help people to move from wherever they are today and build that unity to bring them to a place where we live in a more fair and equitable society. And I think that that work is not easy for everyone to understand, but it's certainly work that I'm committed to. And everywhere that I go is difficult. The Women's March was very difficult. I'm going to pause that there to point out what she just said and to clarify. Where my people are, that's where I must be. So I must be amongst rapists and murderers and thieves in prison. That's where I must be because these are my people. Do you realize what that is saying about your people? Notice how she hasn't even addressed the anti-Semitic nature of the Louis Farrakhan relationship yet. She's just saying, I've got to be in a lot of difficult places to try to bring fairness and unity? What does that mean? You want to throw open the prison gates, right? Throw open the cell doors and let your people go. People who, if you're talking about the black experience in America, Tamika Mallory, people who are killing your people by an overwhelming astronomical percentage. Black people in prison killing black people, and I'm there to help get them out, essentially, is what she is saying. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. But now let's get to the anti-Semitic nature in Louis Farrakhan. I met with a lot of women who did not even understand why race was important to be a part of the conversation as it relates to women's rights issues. And it was a lot of, you know, offensive uh, rhetoric that I heard. And, you know, the only offensive rhetoric comes from you. And the other organizer of the Women's March, Linda Sarsour, 
Palestinian, BDS-supporting, Israel-hating, uh, Holocaust-denying, piece of human flotsam that you're going to be marching with on Saturday. But please, continue. And just because you go into a space with someone does not mean that you agree with everything that they say. But let me push back a little bit. Why call him the greatest of all time? I didn't call him the greatest of all time because of his rhetoric. I called him the greatest of all time because of what he's done in black communities. And I think that, you know... Now you have the view audience applauding this anti-Semitic women's march organizer, Tamika Mallory, for praising Louis Farrakhan. Because he's done some good work in black communities. So it's okay that he calls for the extermination of the Jewish race? That's okay with you? He deserves goat status for doing some other things in the black communities? And by the way, he's not even goat when it comes to work in the black community. You're telling me he is greatest of all time over Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.? we, We could sit here and point to dozens and dozens of black leaders in this country's history that have done so much for the black race and for, more importantly, racial unity than Louis anti-Semitic Farrakhan, and she calls him the greatest of all time. This is the Women's March organizer. Please continue, enlighten us. Let me just interject really quickly. I would never be comfortable supporting someone who called, I'm not anti-Semite and I'm anti-termite. It's the wicked Jews, the false Jews that are promoting lesbianism, homosexuality. This is Meghan McCain calling her out. I actually spoke with the journalist from Tablet Magazine who released an investigation report on your organization. And in part, they allege that there is a lot of anti-Semitism surrounding this march. Specifically, the report alleged that you, Tamika, and co-founder Carmen Perez asserted that, quote, Jewish people had a history of exploiting black people and were proven to be leaders of the American slave trade. Now, a lot of people, by a lot of people, I include me in this, think that you're using your organization as anti-Semitism, masked in activism, and that you're using identity politics to shield yourself from critiques. You're talking about all women being invited to that march. I'm pro-life. We were not invited. We were, we were not allowed at that march right there. I'm a conservative woman. I also represent, if you're talking about women, you should be talking about all women, including Jewish women, as well, and conservative women. All I can say to Meghan McCain is... If Joe Tate were still calling things, I think he would say wham with the right hand. That is exactly correct. Just what? Let me go back. This is uh, from November, so two months ago, when a lot of this started to become public knowledge. The New York Post ran a piece, headline, Don't Join This Year's Women's March Unless You're Good with Anti-Semitism. And that is exactly Correct. With the Pittsburgh shooting still so fresh and anti-Semitism so necessary as a topic, it's time for reckoning the Women's March. This January, women who say they stand with Jews need to boycott the Women's March. The first year of the march, it made sense that many otherwise normal people would attend. It was just two months after Donald Trump's shocking victory. Many were dazed and upset. And again, that was had to do with Hillary Clinton as much as anything. The march was quickly organized by people whose names were not yet known to everyone. Linda Sarsour is one of the leaders. Articles soon sprang up about terrible comments she has made. She supported the radical Muslim Brotherhood, which is anti-Semitic. She praised Sharia law, which, among other things, includes second-class status for women. Yeah, that's a great founder for women's causes, right? 
And she was open about her fandom of Louis Farrakhan, the leader of the Nation of Islam. So between Sarsour and this Tamika Mallory wretch on The View, the, the entire organization of the Women's March is anti-Semitic, hatred of Jews. And whether it's because of, of Linda Sarsour's people, Palestinians, or Tamika Mallory's people, black people, they're essentially blaming Jews for all of the trials and travails and suffering of all of those people. And this is who women are going to go and march with as they march for abortion rights and other causes. You know, it's Linda Sarsour, as a, as a Palestinian Muslim, this, this woman has yet to denounce uh, uh, FGM, female genital mutilation of women. And yet women are supposed to go down there and join her in marching for women's rights when she advocates for the mutilation of Muslim women, young girls. This is absolutely astounding. But the anti-Semitism coming from the Women's March, and again, this is all going to happen on Saturday. On Friday, good people will be marching on the National Mall at Washington, D.C., including my two children, marching for life. Marching for life. The March for Life is huge. It's an annual event. Now, for the second year in a row, the Women's March, which is marching for death. Marching for the right to kill those babies will follow them to the mall on Saturday. And now you know a little bit more about who these anti-Semitic, Jew-hating, racist people are. It's 9.52. We're back after this. I used to take her home in my car. We learned about love in the back of a Dodge. Nine fifty-seven. Now, I would be remiss if I let the first hour end without talking about the Gang of Twenty for just a moment. Uh, a Gang of Twenty. Anytime you hear Gang of, <laughs> which is a usually a bipartisan group of senators or members of Congress uh, trying to push something, it's probably not going to make either side very happy. But uh, a Gang of Twenty has emerged in the Senate to try to push for the border wall uh, to be built and for the government shutdown to be ended. Senate lawmakers have formed a new bipartisan gang to try to resolve the impasse. This is from the Examiner, Washington Examiner, over border wall funding that has caused the longest government shutdown in history. The group includes 20 Senate lawmakers, 10 Republicans, 10 Democrats, according to John Cornyn from Texas. Cornyn is not in the gang, uh, but is a member of the GOP leadership team and has been uh, briefed on the discussion of it so far. He said, my hypothesis is when federal employees start missing their paychecks, that changes the picture. A lot more Senate Democrats are under pressure. If people start breaking off, maybe there is a chance to end the impasse. Cornyn said he talked to a senior Senate Democrat about some ideas that we could do, but added a proposal would ultimately have to meet President Trump's demand for border wall funding, which Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer have so far refused. I'm glad they're talking, but no real progress yet other than talking, Cornyn said, referring to this gang. (laughs) Excuse me, it's been nearly six years since the Gang of Eight organized an immigration bill that envisioned a path to citizenship for illegals in exchange for tougher border security measures and language aimed at ensuring immigrants don't overstay their visas. The Gang of Eight bill passed 6832 in the Senate, but was never taken up in the Republican-led House. Thank God! Thank God! Even though it would have built about 320 miles more of border security fencing, it would have made the carrot again to come to the United States that much more appealing. 
They're going to legalize you if you get here. That was something that we could not allow to have happen. The new gang consists of 20% of the Senate and is hoping to find some kind of answer on immigration that allows the government shutdown to end. Getting there will involve some, uh, likely involve some agreement to fund a border wall, a demand of President Trump's, and some kind of trade-off the Democrats can support. This is the problem with this, my friends. And I'll say this quickly because we're coming up on the top of the hour. Listen to that reporting from the Washington Examiner and understand that last line. Getting there will likely involve some agreement to fund a border wall, a demand of President Trump's, and some kind of trade-off the Democrats can support. They can't even list a trade-off that the Democrats want. That's how disingenuous the Democrats are in their uh, stand on this. They're not even negotiating saying, we want this. If you want your wall, give us this. They're not saying that. They're not saying anything except no wall. President's offering DACA, no wall. President's offering uh, to change the, the, wall, the language of the wall and the construction of the wall from concrete to, uh, to steel barriers. Nope, no wall. They, you can't even list, if you were to ask the Democrats right now, what would you take in order to fund the border security wall? They would say nothing. And that lets you know they don't want to end this shutdown. They think they're winning the hearts and minds of the people. Peter Kirsten now joins us next on AM 1420, The Answer.